You may be seated. I have some words from the author of our salvation. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. You know, this is a little bit different way to take the Lord's Supper, but it doesn't matter that it's in a different package. What matters is is the the remembrance that it brings. You know... Jesus took bread to remember that we could remember that his body was broken or given for us and that his blood was shed. And there's two things we are to remember as we take the Lord's Supper that one, that something has happened, that our sins have been forgiven, that they no longer have a hold on us. It's not that we have to work them off because the work has been done on the cross that it is over. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. So we, we can rest in his salvation. And the other thing, the other promise is that we will drink anew in his kingdom. That there's a celebration plan that, that our God in heaven has prepared a place for us. And that we are waiting something new. So we look forward to that day that we are with him. And so that we rejoice and that we celebrate with him. At Crosswinds, we, we practice an open table. And all who have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior may come and celebrate this time with us. If you have not yet accepted Christ as Savior, I ask you to pray and to ask Christ into your heart during this time and not yet come and take the Lord's Supper, but take this time to reflect on the fact that Jesus has come to die, to take the price for your sins to forgive your sins, and that he seeks to spend eternity with you and accept that fact for yourself. So reflect on that time. Also, the Bible would instruct us, if we're holding any bitterness or unforgiveness towards anybody else, that we should take a moment and pray and forgive them as God has forgiven us in Christ. Let's take a moment and pray. And then as Jeremy and Emil sing about God's amazing love, you can come up to that table there and, and take a, a sealed um, container. There's a, a cellophane here that it's easier if you take that off first and take off the host and then the juices in the second level. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your love that before the foundations of this earth, you sent your son, that you planned to save us, that you sent your son, Jesus, and you promised through all the prophets to send a deliverer, Jesus, to save us. And that you have planned a party in heaven that when we go to be with you, that we will rejoice with you again in your kingdom that you have prepared for us. And we celebrate all of that today. Lord, help us to forgive those who have hurt us today. Help us to bring them to mind and and let go of any pain or any resentment that we have. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your love for us. Help us to love others as you have loved us. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.
just listen to the words for this first verse. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken, I'm accepted, you were condemned, I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again, amazing love, how can it be? My king would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. I'm forgiven because you were. I'm accepted, you were condemned, and I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again, amazing love, how can it be? You might kill or die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. It's a simple truth. Just repeat this with me, all right? You.
Father, it's our honor to be here. And Father, we honor you. We thank you so much, Father, for the beautiful gift of your son and the price he paid on the cross to buy our freedom. Father, freedom for eternity. We thank you. We don't have to work for it. It's just a gift. So, Father, my prayer this morning is, if there's anybody here that hasn't received that gift yet, Father, open their hearts. Let them understand your love and how amazing it is. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Abdul Ali. I'm a youth leader here at Crosswinds. Um, and I want to tell you what our job is as youth leaders, me, Colony, and Pastor Ken. A youth leader is an individual who is responsible for building a sense of community with the church youth that can provide an opportunity for both spiritual and social development. We are teaching young people in the church to grow in their relationship with the Lord, and our job is to also prepare them to serve Christ in all that they do, to be Christ-like. First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Our summer theme is let's go. We're doing a lot of water activities, and our verse for the summer is John 7:38. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow with them. We want to encourage and challenge our youth here at Crosswinds to, to be rivers of living water and not a swamp. Um, remember, it's the mountain stream that carries fresh, life-giving water because it flows out. However, the swamp is stagnant and life-devouring. A swamp collects and retains water that comes its way. So we're asking our youth to bring friends. Um, we're going to be having challenges as well. If we have 25 or more, Emil and Jeremy decided they will shave their head completely bald. So, <laughs> no, but uh, we, we have talked about it. We talked about getting a dunk tank, you know, and you could dunk Pastor Ken and, you know, Miss Kathy. <laughs> Just kind of, we kind of threw you in there just now. And uh, <laughs> so, but even throw like a pie in their face, whatever it is. But uh, just we encourage you to to uh, just bring your friends. So our first activity is a swim party. It's uh, scheduled for Wednesday, July 7th at the Kensington Club subdivision pool from 4 to 7. Parents, make sure you sign a permission slip for your kids. See Cleone or Pastor Ken to get that slip, and it can be done today. And now, we also ask that you prayerfully consider your online giving at Crosswinds Church. Luke 6.38 tells us, It's better to give than to receive, saying, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure passed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the, for the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You can make your generous offering by going to cwgiving.com on your PC, smartphone, or tablets. Or if you're here in person, you can place the offering in the hope chest. Thanks. Thank you, Abdu. You are a sharp-dressed man. 
Youth, uh, you can get a shirt. We're going to give all our youth a shirt free like this. Cleone uh, has uh, been making these up for us, and we're excited about a fun summer with you. Um, it's time for the kids to go to Sunday school. Miss Kathy is right over there. She'll guide you back into Sunday school. Time to have some fun and do some activities with Miss Kathy so you guys can head on back. Um, good morning again, brother. I'm so glad with all of you um, on this Independence Day morning, those of you that are watching online, those of you that are on vacation this morning, tuning in from wherever you are or later in the day, just glad that you are with us today. And um, uh, I'm Ken, if we haven't met before, if you're tuning in. Am I going in and out, Danielle? Okay, I'm going to try moving things around a little bit, see if this is better. Um, so... Uh, our message today is a faith that works instead of wishes that don't. You know, I'm grateful to our founding fathers and mothers who had a faith that worked rather than a wish that didn't. A wish counts on fate or lucky circumstances, while faith trusts in something bigger than us. The people who fought for our independence did not sit passively by hoping for something better to come along. In faith, they strived for something better against all odds and won freedom and opportunity for us all. They were not perfect. Um, uh, they made mistakes, but they were persistent in their, their faith. And they sought something better for their lives and the lives of their children. You know, today some people criticize them, for, and sometimes people criticize just wishing things could be better or, or different in some way. But change does not come through wishing something could be better or criticizing what other people have done. It comes through working in faith for things to be better. Wishing is simply apathetic. It pretends to care, while faith has real power over time to make a difference. As a country, we need to be people of faith, a faith that works instead of wishes if we're going to stay free. Today, many who claim to have faith only seem to have a wish. The greatest problem I see today often in God's church, is not resources. We have more resources of communication, more information, more educated people, and more freedom to do things than ever before in church history. The problem is, we often treat faith more like a wish, and are apathetic and fearful. And that approach will produce little fruitful work of value. You know, maybe some of you are thinking, Pastor, we are saved by grace. It's not about work. Christ has already won our freedom. We can rest in his grace. Well, that's true to a point. Ephesians 2, 8 says, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Yes, we are saved by God's grace alone. By the finished work of Christ. Death, burial, and resurrection. But that verse is saying it's through faith. Not a wish. Faith 
must work. It's like a conduit that must be opened for the gift of God's grace to flow to us. While we don't work to be saved, there is effort in our lives to hold on to faith. It's not a passive thing to keep that conduit open. It takes determination. It takes persistence. It takes discipline. It takes strength to hold on to faith often. It's not an apathetic wish for faith to work. I also believe that faith, though, is a grace from God. The, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1, that we are first dead in our trespasses and sins before the grace of faith comes to us. So we are enlightened by God's grace into true faith. But it requires a spiritual work to keep that conduit open so that God's grace can continue to flow to us so that there is power for effective results in our lives. God does expect our faith to work, not just for us to wish passively and wait on his grace. Grace is to flow or to be worked out in us. See, those who just sit and wait and wish for heaven or something better might want to stop and read a a little bit more in Ephesians 2, past verses 8 and 9 to verse 10, where it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our faith should work because true faith has power. We let God's grace flow through us to bring changes in our lives and into the lives of those around us. In James 18 through 26, Jesus' brother makes a very strong case that an apathetic wish-like faith with no works is completely dead. That they have no power to save us. If all we have is faith that wishes for eternal life, but have no power in that faith to overcome our fears, or, or to give us joy, or, or to impact others with that faith, will that kind of faith have any power to save us? Today, I want us to look deeply at Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40, to see a faith in Christ that really works. So starting in in verse 40, uh, it says this. Now, when Jesus turned to the crowd, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting on him. The first thing we see is there's a, a crowd there that is wishing on Jesus. They were all waiting for him. You know, the other, his disciples, the true disciples went to the other side of the lake and they saw his power as they went through a horrendous storm, a life killing storm. And they saw him demonstrate his power over nature. And then they saw him on the other side of the lake um, uh, face a demonic man. And they saw his power over the supernatural to the spiritual world. See, his disciples followed Jesus through their fears and they saw his glory. The crowd sitting on the other side of the lake wishing just one of the potential benefits of Jesus. The crowd sees Jesus like an insurance policy. If, if they get sick, he might help him. They're just hoping for a spot in heaven when they die. So they're just welcoming him to him. But disciples get to the work of getting in his boat and following him. They go through the storms of life with him and they, they face their fears in spiritual battles. 
One of the things I ask people every week as I disciple them is, how is following? How is following? It's in following Jesus that the muscle of faith is exercised and becomes stronger. It is in the following that the conduit is of grace is opened. It's not in the welcoming of Jesus into your life. If you've just welcomed him and you are not attempting to follow him, there will be no lasting transformation or power of grace in your life. We are saved when we make Jesus our Lord, our leader, and we follow him. The Bible says, but because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. Lordship is a transfer of authority. And so if Jesus says, let's go, let's get in the boat, then you go. See, many who are apathetic just want to sit and wait on him to come to them. Jesus says, come follow me. Do the things that I do. Are you reading his word daily? How can you follow somebody you're not listening to? If you're not reading his word daily, are you just wishing and welcoming and not following him? That kind of faith may not work. Verse 41 says, there came a man named Jairus, or Jairus, who was a ruler from a synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. Now, now Jairus has a faith that works. He is coming to Jesus. He's not waiting apathetically for Jesus to come to him. As a, as a ruler of a synagogue, he went, um, or as a ruler of a synagogue, he, he went to Jesus. He was responsible for the maintenance of the building where the, the Jews met. He was responsible for scheduling all the rabbis and, and preparing for their worship. He was already serving God when he came to Jesus. See, many people are, are waiting to serve God with their lives when their faith is greater. Can I tell you all a secret? To have a faith that works, start serving first. How did you learn to walk? By walking. How did you learn to talk? By hearing sounds and trying to duplicate them and making noises. How are you going to have faith to serve him other than by doing it, by serving others? If you're following him and you're, you're, and you say you're following him, and you do not serve others in his church, are you just wishing? He tells us to serve one another. We learn to be unselfish by working by faith, by serving in his example. And he gives us greater service. I was so impressed by Marcy when we did Lord's Supper. She went around with a little basket picking up the cups. She just served one another. That's what we are to do, serve one another. Think and, and pick up chairs and, and serve one another. We serve in little ways and then... God gives us greater ways. You're not going to all of a sudden, God's going to say, here, this big thing, Moses, go, go, go lead the children of Israel. You, you pick up the stick first and God gives you greater tasks. We start by serving and Jairus was serving and, and because he was serving, he was probably in a position where he heard more about the reputation of Jesus and serving others is hard. And, and he probably learned 
in that hardness to call on God and, 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 and learn to call on others for help. And so, unlike the crowd, he, he learned a faith that worked. And, and Jairus then put feet to his faith and he went to Jesus and he implored, which, which meant to beg Jesus for help. Faith that works earnestly seeks God in prayer. Disciples don't just wish for a thing to happen. We get down on our knees and we humbly beg God for something to happen. When was the last time you cared enough about something to fall on your knees and beg God for it? Jairus was bold. He, he, he did not know Jesus personally. At, at this time, he was not even one of Jesus' followers yet. Yet he begs him. Doesn't even know the man. He, he comes to come to his house. And, and see, Jesus tells us that a faith that works comes to God, needy, expecting help. And it says, ask that it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Right now, Emile's father is listening to this broadcast in South Africa. His name is Francois. And I want us all, we're going to pray for Francois right now, that God would bring healing. Father God, I just pray. Lord God, I beg you, Father, that you would bring healing and that you would bring strength to my brother Francois. Father, that right now, that you would speak to him, that you would bring a peace to his heart. Father, bring healing to his heart. Do a miracle. If you can open the Red Sea, you can open up that man's heart and let blood flow. Father, we come to you. We ask according to your word and ask for healing for our brother. And we ask for strength for our brother. In Jesus' precious name, we pray everything according to your good and perfect will. We thank you that you have saved him and we thank you for the eternal life that you've given him. But we ask for your mercy to be upon our brother right now. Amen. For grace to flow in us, we need to have a proper humble position before God to receive it. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, many Jewish leaders had rejected Jesus because they were threatened by God's love for him. But this leader had a, a compelling reason to be humble himself before God. See, he had only one daughter. His daughter was 12 years of age and she was dying. As, as Jesus went, the, the people pressed around him. You know, faith that works does not wait until there is a, a compelling need to seek God. If we don't work out our faith on the little things in life, we may find that other things are pressing in on us and, and blocking us when the big things come. In, in Luke 7, there was a Roman centurion, a Gentile, and all Jesus had to do was say a word and his servant was healed. He, he did not need to go with him. Why? He had already learned to trust God in many other difficulties and in many other battles and conflicts in his life. And he understood power and he understood authority and he understood that just a word of Jesus was all that was necessary to create a conduit of faith that grace could flow to his servant and by a word he was healed but Jairus's faith right now needs to be grown and so he had to go with Jesus and he had to and he had to see power in littler things and, and and so Jesus if we need to start going with him to see his power revealed in little things every day. The second question I ask people as I disciple them is besides how is following, as I say, how is fishing? Because when we go fishing with Jesus, 
we start to see his power in all the little things that happen in life in the, on the way. As we, we pray with the waitress, as we, we talk to the person in the street and we see the little miracles that happen in their lives, we see his power at work. And this is what happened. In verse 43, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and she had spent all her living on physicians and she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and she touches the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. You know, Jairus had an immediate need. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. This woman had been dying for 12 years. Not just from her disease, because Leviticus uh, 15, 19 says, when a woman has a discharge, the discharge of her body is blood. She will be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. And in her legalistic culture, uh, in that Hebrew culture in the first century, she was a pariah in her society. No one could knowingly touch her or hold her. For 12 years. Can you imagine? Her condition would have given her husband a legal reason to divorce her. Because he couldn't touch her. He, he would, she would not be allowed to go to the temple and worship. Because she was considered defiled by everybody. She could not go to the store or walk down the street. Without having to declare to everybody her uncleanness. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Is what she would have to say. She could not even do simple things like come into a building and sit on a chair. Without the fear of desecrating that chair for others. Physically, we don't know what kind of pain she was in, but we can all imagine the emotional pain she was in. I bet there were days she felt like just crawling in a ball and dying. But she didn't just give up. She just didn't wait on faith. Fate. She just didn't wait on her fate. She didn't give up. She had the faith to keep looking for solutions. She believed she could be better. She didn't just merely have a wish. She worked at it. The text says she had spent all that she had on doctors trying to get well. Sometimes our faith, though, can be misplaced. Besides the physical and emotional distress of her disease, it it had cost her all her time and her money just trying to get well, putting her faith into bad ideas. In the first century, there were many popular treatments for what she had. Some were like putting, getting into hot baths and then other doctors were saying get in the cold baths and boiling Persian onions in wine and then this one was great, drinking wine, a glass of wine and then having somebody scare you from behind. I don't know what that would have done but that was one of the treatments or ingesting a fox's tooth or eating the fingernail of a hanged man. Um, and all these solutions cost her a lot of money and they left her more broke and broken. Many in life choose the wrong doctors in life and end up broken. Some choose the doctor of religion. Some choose the doctor of self-improvement. Some choose the doctor of medications, drugs, alcohol, marijuana, whatever they try to medicate their lives with entertainment. Some choose the doctor of distraction, just not thinking about it. Some choose the doctor of success. And some choose the doctor of popularity. All these things to try to fix our brokenness. But a faith that works is ultimately about having your faith in the right thing. Culturally, we believe sincerity is what really matters. But sincerely believing in the wrong solution is dangerous 
In the end, it will leave you eternally bankrupt. If you take the wrong medication, it can make you sicker. If you, if you take poison instead of medicine, it will kill you. If you take a placebo, your symptoms will just get worse. You must take the right treatment to get well. This woman is very fortunate. She finally ran out of money. Bankrupt, she can no longer seek her own cures that were killing her. Instead, her only option is to desperately reach out to Jesus. And that kind of desperation of faith is faith that works. True faith that works is when we admit that we are powerless in ourself to fix ourselves. And Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. See, apathetic faith, friends, does not move the heart of God, but a surrendered heart desperately to seek, desperate to seek him does. If, if, even if we do it all wrong, even if we do everything else wrong. See, this woman's approached Jesus in a crowd. That was against all the religious laws. Think about it. She secretly was willing to walk into a crowd, defiling everybody. Peter says the crowd was pressing in on them. She boldly touches Jesus, who was a a, a great rabbi, knowing that she'll defile him by doing it. And, And she's acting partially on superstition because people their day believe touching a great person might benefit them, blessing them in some way, and they could absorb their aura or their energy and gain some kind of healing. This is not an orthodox way to approach Jesus. Her methods are flawed, but her faith worked. She risked everything. She risked embarrassment. She risked shame. She even risked beatings if she was discovered touching him. But her faith was all that was necessary to let the power of his grace be unleashed to flow into her to heal her. As she touched him, a conduit was opened. Jesus felt power leave him. Remember I said grace comes through faith? Faith was what worked as she touched him so that grace could flow. Others in the crowd might have been pressing harder against him than she was touching him. It wasn't how hard she touched him. It was the faith. There were others that probably had more religious knowledge than she did, knew the protocols, but they had no faith and so no power of grace was transferred. Now, you might ask, like Peter, why did Jesus then make such a big deal of her touch? Did not that embarrass that poor woman? Hasn't she been through enough already? Just let the poor woman go in peace. But Jesus knows that she's not yet ready for peace. And that's why he called her out. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith 
has made you well. Go now in peace. Can you imagine the horror and the relief for this woman all at the same time? Twelve years of hiding from people in her shame. No one had touched her. No one maybe had even looked her in the eye. And now all eyes are upon her. Her physical condition had been healed. But in her there was still now a bigger wound. The shame and the isolation her disease had caused her. By her coming publicly admitting her disease and the fact that she had been healed, he gave her before the crowd an opportunity. And then when Jesus affirmed her healing, he restored her completely in her culture. And now she could move forward in her life fully restored again. You know, James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayers of a righteous person has great power in its working. Yes, Jesus can privately remove our sins when we reach out to him in faith by his grace. But full restoration comes in confessing our sins to a trusted brother or sister. And hearing Jesus' words of forgiveness proclaimed or prayed over us. A faith that works honestly confesses our sins to God and to man so that the power of sins is is destroyed. It's, it's destroyed so it can no longer harm us harm our reputation, harm our hearts, give us fear, it's destroyed. As we claim our new identity again, and once full restoration is, is, is said, notice what Jesus says to her. He says, daughter, daughter, go in peace. See, sin, man, and the devil can no longer torment you. You belong to me. You're my daughter. And that's what God says to each of us, that we are his sons and daughters. And sin no longer can torment us. And death no longer torments us. Now, while Jesus is still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Now, can you imagine Jairus' face? Can you imagine the roller coaster of emotions he's on? First, he's amazed to Jesus' compassion and, and the power Jesus just expressed to this woman, the total restoration of this woman. And in the middle of it, the news, oh, I'm sure he's tempted to doubt. You know, maybe he's hurt and he's angry. Maybe he's angry with the woman for delaying Jesus. Maybe he's angry with himself for not coming to Jesus sooner. Maybe he's fearful that his faith has just not worked. And I'm sure that floods of fear and doubt are starting to fill his mind. And Jesus, hearing this answer, looks to him and says, Do not fear. Only believe. And she will be well. Friends, beloved, a faith that works chooses belief over fear. 
it is natural for fear to come in the circumstances of living in a sinful and broken world. But faith is supernatural and we must choose it. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have a choice, either to worry or to pray. Worry is focusing our mind on anxious thoughts of what can go wrong. Prayer is focusing your thoughts on God and his promises. Peace comes when we do the latter. Jesus is teaching Jairus a faith that works. He is giving Jairus a command. Do not fear is a command. It's not meant as a rebuke. Friends, it is simply right medicine. What is necessary at this moment is faith. Fear cannot help. Fear can only drain energy. Fear can only distort thinking. It can only paralyze us. What Jairus needs is to work. He needs to follow Jesus in faith. He needs to believe Jesus and put one foot in another and lead Jesus to his home. That's all Jairus needs to do. He needs to tune out his friends who cast doubt. Oh, don't trouble the teacher. He needs to tune that out and start walking. He needs to focus his mind on the fact that this teacher just healed a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. A decision has to be made. Do I trust faith or do I trust fear? Fear in the moment seems often like a more reasonable option because it has many more advocates. There are many more voices, maybe even an internal one, that will tell you basically, don't trouble God. Instead, be reasonable. Beloved, the Apostle Paul says, rejoice always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. God is at hand. If the Lord is, and the Bible says he is for you, the most reasonable option always is to rejoice and choose faith over fear. Otherwise, you believe in a wish, don't you? And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Maybe in the house, they only wished that the teacher could come and do some kind of miracle to help the girl. But now they laughed when a real man of faith comes to do his work on something that seems impossible. Jesus silenced these professional mourners who are laughing because professionally they know death. And they think it's ridiculous that a healer would come now at this hour. Faith 
that works knows the facts don't matter because we serve a God that can do the impossible and determines the facts of the matter. Since doubt is infectious and so is faith, Jesus quarantines his closest disciples with the parents because a faith that works grows in a fellowship of faith. Because Jesus is God, he knows the true facts of the matter. The girl is not dead. She's not annihilated from existence. Her body is just sleeping. It's just waiting to be reawakened at the proper time. The Bible says we are all eternal. That we don't cease to exist. That we will all be awakened. Some into eternal life and some into eternal torment. And so there's no cause to weep if we believe in him. The fear of loss, friends, is what makes us cry. It is the longing for lack that makes us despair. When Jesus speaks of death to his disciples, he tells us, do not let your heart be troubled. He says that death is simply a shadow that we pass through with him. He is with us. He says it is like a sleep that we wake from to a better existence. Faith that works believes his words and not our fears. Our fears paralyze us and death torments us. But faith gives us peace. Verse 54 says, But taking the child by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. Friends, Jairus' faith worked because he was not paralyzed, because he put one foot in front of the other and he made it to Jesus' house. And he was a conduit with through which grace came and restored his daughter. Fear is a constipation of grace, yet faith releases grace to flow. When we fear a problem is too big, we stop the flow of creative grace from God to flow to give us the next idea. When we fear someone is too far from God to be reached, we don't pray for them and paralysis in that paralysis, grace does not flow. When we believe things are impossible, friends, we've actually become atheists because God's word says with God, all things are possible to those who believe. Jesus commands us Do not fear, only believe. Beloved, we must not wish, which leads to fear. We must have faith in him that works always. Now, why why do the parents tell the little girl, or tell the parents to give the little girl something to eat? I thought about that. And there's a line from a movie called The Shawshank Redemption, that Andy Dufresne says, and it's this, either you're going to get busy living or you're going to get busy dying. Right? I think this is Jesus' way of saying that to the family. Get busy living. Right? You know, there's probably some lingering fears in their mind that this girl might, you know, be still sick or something, and they might forget to stop doing the things that she needs to do to keep living. Right? They might forget to feed the girl. She was healed. He made her well. He doesn't go part way. It's time to focus on the things that bring life. Go eat. If you're a believer, if you believe today, stop focusing on your sins and your fears and eat. Have a feast. 
follow fish, a faith that works, keeps doing the things that bring life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. A faith that works comes to him each day of life and is filled by his grace and then pours that out to others. Jesus says, when our thirst is satisfied, rivers of living water flow from us to others. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus, I thought we we're supposed to go tell people. They were amazed. Why, why would Jesus tell them to not go tell anybody? Was this just reverse psychology from Jesus? You know, because he tells us not to fear and we do it anyways. And he tells us to go and tell and so many people don't ever go tell anybody. So if he tells us not to do something, maybe we'll go and do it. Is that what Jesus is doing? No, Jesus doesn't lead us into disobedience. That would be, he doesn't tempt us in that way. The reason he tells them not to tell is that Jesus didn't come to start a resuscitation ministry or a healing ministry on earth. And if they went and told at this moment, he would have a larger crowd just pressing in and welcoming him just to solve their earthly problems. See, the little girl in this story eventually died. And the woman in this story died. They both died 2,000 years ago. Beloved, all their earthly problems were not over that day. It was not a happily ever after that day because they were healed. If faith really worked in their lives that day, it was not because they got their wish for a healing. It was because they met Jesus and learned not to fear and only believe. That brought their happily ever after. Jesus said later, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever... And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He said that right before raising another man, Lazarus, his friend, who eventually later died. A faith that works does not fear, but trust Jesus for the ultimate problems of life. After that particular recitation, people did start to talk. And crowds of religious people did not want to lose their power. And in their fears, they planned to kill him. And they accused Jesus of sins he didn't commit. And they got the Romans, in their fears, to execute him. And the disciples feared and ran home and were paralyzed because they all that they had wished for seemed to be over. But Jesus, in faith worked out our salvation by dying for us on a Roman cross. He obeyed his Father's will rather than fear. He was the founder and perfecter of our faith who set us and his Father's will as a joy before him and endured the cross to remove our sin. And then, after he died, three days later, he walked out of the tomb to remind us 
and to remind them once and for all that his words are true, that they can be trusted, that faith is greater than our fears, that he is the profounder and factor of faith, and to follow him is more reasonable than trusting in wishes leading to doubt and fear, that faith always works when it perseveres in him. Today, stop wishing on false doctors and put true faith upon him. Let his good grace through faith flow to you and save you. Receive the forgiveness of your sins and the sure promise of eternal life in him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that right now, wherever somebody is, whether they're watching in line on vacation, whether they're watching at home, whether they're sitting right here, whether they've known you for a long time, whether they've just met you, Lord, that they would reach out and touch you in faith, that they would turn from their fears, which is sin, and turn to you and believe. Trust, turn from despair, turn from doubt, repent, turn from shame, turn to you. Reach out and let your grace flow. Let them believe what your word says, that you have paid the price for their sin, that you have made them new, that 2,000 years ago you did all the work, that at the foundations of the world you planned the work to redeem them, that you've loved them before the foundations of this world, and that you died to make them new, to make them your son or your daughter. And now you're saying to them, go, go in peace. Let them receive that in faith. Let them focus their mind on that and turn from fear and believe. Jesus, I thank you for the miracle you're doing right now. Turning hearts from fear to faith. Convict them of their sin. Help them to be honest about it. Just like the woman. Convict them of your goodness and love for them. And convict them through the Holy Spirit that they need to do that now, not to wait or delay. That now is a time of faith. To believe. Do something amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're going to worship right now. We're going to praise the name of Jesus. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, I'm going to be standing right over here. I'd love to pray with you, but it's not just me. If there's somebody near you, and you can go to them. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray with one another that you may be healed. Don't just wait there in your fears. Turn to somebody right now. Reach out and touch and, and pray with somebody. Come pray with me.